Let's turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke 16, and I have to be honest with you, this is the hardest parable for me to interpret. I think it's the hardest parable for anybody to interpret because there are a couple of verses in this parable that look so out of place and so out of kilter with the way God tells us to think that if we're not careful, we'll misinterpret what this parable is about. It's about, a, about whether we are honest or dishonest stewards of our lives, of our time, of our talents, of our tithe, of ourselves. And, and so Jesus tells this story, and he uses this illustration of this manager who is sifting off funds from the boss, from the rich man. Now he was also saying to the disciples, now in the context, the Pharisees, he's been speaking to the Pharisees who were keepers of the moral law, but they were also lovers of money. And so now he turns and he's saying to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So that when I'm removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors. And he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age, that's an important phrase, the sons of this age are more shrewd in their relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of the unrighteous, so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the youth, use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful to the use of that which is another's, who will give you what, that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now, in Luke's gospel, he's done a successive line of parables dealing with stewardship. Let, let's just look at them real quickly. This one, the dishonest manager, that's verses 1 through 13. Then he rolls right out of that to the rich man and Lazarus in hell. That's Luke 16, 19 through 31. Then he talks about the rich ruler, Luke 18, verses 18 through 30. And then if you skip to chapter 19, there's the story of Zacchaeus and of him giving half of his possessions to the poor. So these parables on stewardship are directed into two areas. They're directed to the Pharisees who were lovers of money, but they're also directed to the disciples to tell the disciples how to think about stewardship, 
how to think about what you have. And you have to remember, Jesus lived in a poor country. 99% of the people in Israel at that time lived in abject poverty. They were lucky to have bread for every day. But here's the context, the reason I stopped reading at verse 13. Verse 14, now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things, all these parables he's been telling, and they were scoffing at him. The word scoffing means to turn your nose up at someone. I mean, they just turned their nose up at Jesus. Their, their tone and their body language was, you have nothing to say to us that we want to hear. Verse 15, and he said to them, you are those, he's talking to the Pharisees now. Remember, he's been talking to the disciples. Now he's talking to the Pharisees. He said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. So he's told this parable. The owner says, hey, I've heard that you've been stealing money from me. Clean out your desk and we're calling an audit. And so the guy panics. He says, I don't want to dig. I don't want to sweat. I don't want to really work outside in physical labor for a living. And I don't want to be a beggar on the side of the street. And so he's trying to figure out, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? And he comes up with a solution. Here's his solution. It's very simple. He goes to the people that owe money to the rich man. And he says, if you'll scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That's basically what he says to him. If you'll do what I tell you to do, then one day you're going to realize you owe me a favor. So what do he do? He goes to the first one and he says, hey, just give me 50 cents on the dollar. So what's going to happen? He gets in trouble. He has a need. He needs a bed to sleep in. He needs a place to go. He's going to go to that guy and say, hey, remember me? I'm the guy that let you off on a loan that you had for 50 cents on the dollar. Remember me? He goes to the other one, he gives him 80%. So he cuts 20% out of it. He gives him a discount. He's going to be able to go to him and say, just remember, you owe me the fact that it didn't cost you as much as you thought it was going to cost you. He goes behind, even after he's lost a job, before the word gets out, he goes behind the rich man's back and he negotiates a deal and he negotiates a scheme to settle the account so that if he happened to have to go to court or if he got in trouble, he would have friends that would take care of him. Now, someone has said, and I think this applies to this parable, the first rule of politics is always be generous with other people's money. Did you get that? First rule of politics, always be generous with other people's money. They're always generous with your money. And this man was generous, squandering the rich man's wealth. And Jesus reveals two things in this parable. First of all, the boss, the rich man, and the manager were both unscrupulous. They were both unscrupulous. They were charging interest, and Jews weren't supposed to charge interest. And they were charging this high interest, and some were charging interest at that time up to 100% interest. And so they're both unscrupulous. Secondly, the manager's actions are accepted by the world system. The world would look and say, man, that's a shrewd guy. That's what Jesus said. The world says, this guy's shrewd. He's sharp. He's quick on his feet. The world would say, this is okay. 
After all, if you don't get caught, it's okay. That's the world system. If you do get caught, weasel your way out of it. And so Jesus is contrasting here two motives for life. One is the love of money and self, and the other is the love of others. And he's trying to get his disciples to see that you need to think as shrewdly about loving others and the gospel as the world thinks about trying to be successful. So he's running a parallel track here. This parable is really not about business principles, although you can see some things here. It's really about the core of the heart, how we determine and make life decisions. You see, if I love myself and I love money, then it's going to be hard for me to love others and to love God. Look at the quote in your notes by Chuck Swindoll. According to Jesus, we have two choices. The dominion of evil inhabited by the sons of this age and the kingdom of God populated by the sons of light. Unfortunately, the sons of this age consistently live what they believe while the sons of light are often wishy-washy about their beliefs. The sons of this age play by the rules of the present world order with ruthless abandon while the sons of light switch back and forth. So the question comes, are we as quick to seek the wisdom of God and how we do life as the world is and how it seeks wealth? Are we as quick and tenacious to offer grace and forgiveness to others as the world is to applaud those who are successful? So Jesus draws this parallel between the little and the much, between the unrighteous wealth and true riches, and he catches us off guard. I'm telling you, if you read this, verse 8 catches you off guard. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. That is not saying that he approved the dishonest manager. He's still fired. He still lost his job. What he's taking note of is he's quick thinking and he's a good example of looking out for number one. This guy really looked out for himself and the, the rich man noted that he looked out for himself. Now don't forget, the owner and the manager are both at fault because they've charged exorbitant interest and they put out these loans at exorbitant interest, which the Jews were not supposed to do. So the owner is dishonest in the way he loaned the money. The steward is dishonest in the way he collected the money. And those who got a reduction in their debt were dishonest because they took advantage of an opportunity to take advantage of the guy who was dishonest covering himself with the rich man. So everybody's a crook in this story. I mean, they're all just, you know, you know, I won't look at you. You don't look at me. I don't do this. You don't do Let's just all play by the rules we want to play by. You see, the world is quick to think on its feet. And the church is slow to think on its feet. The world is quick to scheme. And the church is slow to strategize how we take the gospel to the world. We forget that the only thing that lasts for eternity are the souls of men and the word of God. 
Nothing that we build in this life will last for eternity. I mean, we, we were talking this morning, some of us were talking about some of the new stuff at Disney with Star Wars. And, and you know, they've, they've spent a billion and a half to two billion dollars for an eight million dollar ride in an area. And they thought nothing about it. They thought nothing about it. I mean, they just said, that's good, let's go. Let's just do it. In fact, the technology of one of those rides wasn't even developed at the time that they developed the idea for the ride. It wasn't, it wasn't even developed. And they just, a billion and a half. Why? Because people like you, people like me are going to go down there and pay a lot of money for a ticket to do an eight-minute ride. That's why. And they know we will. They're shrewd. And yet, when it comes to the kingdom of God and the opportunity to minister to people and to take the gospel to the world, we sit and we put our hands on our wallets and we button the back pocket and we put our hand back there and we stuff our wallet deep down in our purse because we don't want God to get our money. And Jesus is saying, it's time for my disciples to be as sharp in investing in the kingdom as they are in spending for their own success. Spending for their own success. To be investing in the kingdom. So, what are the lessons learned? First of all, when it comes to the church. When it comes to the church, there are some things we don't have to pray about. Now, I know we're supposed to pray about everything, but there are some things you don't have to pray about. Uh, you shouldn't have to pray about whether I should be praying. <laughs> We don't have to pray about whether we should witness. We've been commanded to witness. We shouldn't have to pray about whether we serve. Jesus said, if you want to be great, if you want to be successful, be a servant. The only thing we pray about in serving is where, in what area, in what capacity do I serve? We don't have to pray about is the word of God the final authority. It is the final authority. And by the way, there's, we don't have to pray about whether we give. Because God's word commands us to give. God's word tells us to give. And you can argue the tithe if you want to. The tithe for the Jews was 30%. Now, we say the tithe is 10%. And, I, and I've heard people say, you know, I give 10% so that I can have 90% to do whatever I want to do with. That's, that's not biblical stewardship. You give 10% because that's what the law requires if you want to go with that. Or you give by grace, which is always going to be more than 10%. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but I want to bring it back up because now that you've eaten all the turkey and everything else and the sweets, and by the way, the average American, just so you know, the average American consumed 7,000 calories Christmas Day. So all of you that are planning on starting a diet program in January, you don't lift your hands. Uh, what, what God's word teaches us about mammon, about wealth, about money, is that everything is from God's trust fund. When I get a paycheck, it comes out of God's trust fund. It's not really mine, but it is. But first of all, it's his. What should I do with what he's given me? How should I spend it? How should I invest it? Here's the principle. We've talked, we've talked about this a lot. To remind us that God always reserves something for himself in the physical realm to teach us 
He is the owner of all things. It was a tree in the garden. It was a day of the week, the Sabbath. It was the land had to rest every seven years. The tithe had to be brought. Remember why the tithe had to be brought. They didn't have text to give. I, I know it's hard. You know, One of the funniest YouTube videos I've seen is the one of somebody giving a teenager a rotary phone and a phone book and asking them to make a phone call. And they sit there with the receiver on the phone trying to figure out what these holes are for and they have no idea what to do with a phone book because they've never lived in a time when the phone wasn't in their hand as a cell phone. So they don't know what, they don't know what that is. But God reserves something. God reserves something. He, he wants us to remember that the way to success is not the latest thing we have. It's not the latest technology. It's not the latest it. The way to success is to be pleasing to God. And to be glorifying God. That's the way to success. If, if we want to be successful, and every one of us in this room can be successful in the eyes of God. We may never be successful in the eyes of man, but they had to bring their gifts. Why? To sit under the word. They couldn't text to give. They couldn't go to a kiosk out in the foyer of the synagogue. They couldn't go to the court of the Gentiles and, and find some place to turn it in. They had to go and sit under the word. So when it comes to giving, God holds a part back to remind us that it's all his and he gives us some of it to live off of. You, you did what I did. You spent more at Christmas than you planned to because you just couldn't say no. And if you're not careful, you'll do that to the point where you're in this massive credit card debt paying minimum payments and you wonder why you never get your head above water. And then when there's an opportunity to invest in the kingdom, you say, I just can't afford it. Because what you spend it on will be in a goodwill pile in two to three years. And when the opportunity comes to do something big for God, we miss the moment because we were shrewd about figuring out how we could get that and pay this and wait two more days before we send that check so that we make sure we have money in the bank. We're shrewd about that so we make sure we can cover this because payday's not, not till then. And, and, you know, I run out a month and uh, money and I don't know what to do and I don't know how to figure it out and so we juggle and hope that we don't get charged a late fee and then we get charged a late fee and then we then we put you know a drive-through food on a credit card and pay 18% interest on a hamburger because we're paying minimum payments so you, you realize that some of you are now up to about $475 for a hamburger because you've just been paying interest it's just growing and growing and growing on something because it was easier to just put a credit card out there than think about, do I just need to go home and eat a peanut butter sandwich? And then when the opportunity comes for the kingdom to do something great for God, to help somebody go on a mission trip or even to put a dollar in the 
box out there for that free coffee that you get every week and never put any money in there to help somebody go on a mission trip. That free coffee that you keep taking for granted that it's always going to be there. Because you never even put 50 cents in there. I mean, we average about, you know, 300 cups of coffee and about $20. You, you do the math. Hey, I could help somebody go on a mission trip. Hey, I could have helped one of those kids go to Uganda. Nah, coffee's free. I'm shrewd. I'm just going to get it while it's free. See how we think wrongly about the way we are supposed to spread the gospel? Look at the Wearsby quote in your notes. Christian stewardship goes beyond paying God a tithe of our income and then using the remainder as we please. True stewardship means that we thank God for all that we have and use it as he directs. We are also stewards of our time. Can I tell you something? When it comes to sharing, money is not neutral. Money is neutral. It's not good. It's not evil. Money is neutral. What you do with it makes it good or evil. What you do with it. When it comes to sharing, Jesus said, I say to you, he's talking to the disciples. Paul said to redeem the time. Why? Because time is eternity minted into minutes, hours, days, and years. We only have so much time. And it's gone. And then we have to give an account of what we've done with the time that we have. When it comes to stewardship. Uh, we, we often make lame excuses. I used to say years ago, this makes no sense now. I used to say years ago, if I ever win the publisher's clearinghouse, I'm going to pay off Sears and go to McDonald's. Because, you know, we did what you did. We bought a refrigerator at Sears for $20 a month for 72 years. <laughs> it was avocado green, which is never coming back in style. Yeah, and we make statements like that. Oh, if I, if I ever won the lottery, if I ever won the publisher's clearinghouse, I, I would do this. Listen, Jesus is not expecting you to do this. What Jesus is expecting is for us to be stewards of what we have. Not what we might want, but stewards of what we have to be faithful in little things. You see, if you don't handle your money, your money will handle you. If you don't handle your money, your money will handle you. Jonathan Beasley was our uh, youth minister from 1990 to 1995, and he was a single guy. And uh, he said, you know, he said, I came up with a solution when I go to the mall and see something I want. I'd go say, man, that's a pair of tennis shoes. I really want those tennis shoes. Man, that's a pair of jeans. I really want those jeans. And Jonathan said, I didn't have to worry about a wife or kids or anything else. So he said, I, I would say, and he said one day I got convicted that I would just go buy stuff because I wanted to buy stuff. And he said, so what I did is I took my credit cards and I put them in a block of ice in my freezer. And he said, I, if I'd go to the mall or I'd go to the store and I'd see something I really wanted, I'd go home. And I'd put the ice block out on the counter. And after it melted, if I still wanted it, I'd go get it. He said, but most of the time, by the time that thing melted, I thought, I don't need that. I don't want that. You see, if you don't handle your money, your money will handle you. That's why most people live beyond their means. That's why the church is not doing all that it should do in any church in America, all that it should do in the expansion of the gospel. 
because we are not using what God has given us wisely. Are we using our health wisely? Are we using our time wisely? Are we using our resources wisely? I, I want to tell you something. I'm looking forward to meeting people in heaven who I will never meet on this earth because I gave to the International Mission Board, because I gave to the North American Mission Board, because I gave to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, because I gave to Campus Crusade, because I gave to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, because I gave to Sherwood Baptist Church, because I gave to meet the need. I'm looking forward to meeting people who got saved because we planted churches all across America. I'll never meet them. But you see, if people hadn't joined together and shrewdly planned, here's how we can do something for God that's bigger than ourselves. We'll partner together and join our forces and our funds and we'll build the facilities that we can invite lost people to come to and we'll plant churches that those pastors can invite lost people to come to. And so all over America today, there are churches. There's a church in San Francisco that we planted 10 years ago that's running as much as we are in San Francisco. And there hasn't been a successful church plant in San Francisco in 35 years. Every one of them failed over the last 35 years until this church plant. And it's because a pastor went there and loved a city. And now he's got people that are coming from all walks of life. They're in the business part of town. He's got members of the San Francisco 49ers. He's got members of the San Francisco Giants. And they are planning big things for God. Why? Because we made a five-figure investment as a church in them. So we get to be a part of that. I don't tell you, that's the shrewdness we need. How do we partner and join hands with people to make a difference. There are a lot of organizations that you can give to, but let me just give you a little suggestion here. When it comes to feeding the poor, the International Mission Board of Southern Baptist Convention, not one penny, not one penny to feeding the poor goes to administrative cost. You ought to ask that question of any organization you give to. Not one penny goes to administrative cost. When it comes to disaster relief with the North American Mission Board, not one penny goes to administrative cost. Every penny that's given to the North American Mission Board for disaster relief goes to disaster relief. Now, the world sets up systems, and then they get caught, and they say, support this, support that, support this, support that. And then you find out that the guy that's administrating that's making $3.5 million a year off of your $19 a month. And you need to ask yourself the question, am I being shrewd? Am I being wise in what I'm giving to and in what I'm investing in? Because every, everybody's asking for your money. But the only money that's going to last for eternity is what you give to the kingdom. It's what you invest in the kingdom. God's people need to be more shrewd than the world in the way we think about the kingdom. Verse 14, the Pharisees were lovers of money. It's a warning to us all. Jesus said, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your heart. In other words, he said to the Pharisees, you are the teachers of the moral law, but when it comes to money, what you say to your God is mind your own business. See, if you want to get ahead in this world, you can break the rules. 
That's shrewd, and the world accepts it. But if you want to get ahead in the kingdom, you lay up treasures in heaven. Luke 16, 13, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. I love this quote by Warren Wiersbe. If God is our master, then money will be our servant. Let's pray.